This is Teddy Gentry with Group Alabama. You're listening to my buddy Andrew Pope on Picking It Out. Stay tuned. We talk about a lot of different things. Don't tell nobody. Shh. It's just another podcast. Don't be picking it out. It's just another podcast. Don't be picking it out. No telling what kind of shit we're going to talk about. Yeah, cause we're just picking it out. My name's Andrew Pope, and you're listening slash watching, picking it out. Appreciate y'all tuning in uh, once again with us here this week. Real excited this week, y'all. We got a country music hall of famer here, and we finally got Zoom figured out. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's this guy's a founding member of one of the, well, the biggest group ever in uh, country music by far. Um, Mr. Teddy Gentry. Man, how you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. How you, brother? Doing good. Doing good. Looks good deal. like it's kind of chilly in the house there. It is a little chilly outside and rainy today, but uh, I'm, uh, I've been out hanging with my chickens and, and cows, so I'm I'm uh, dressed in my country boy outfit today. That's right. That's right. You still uh, gathering your chicken collection out there that you're talking about? Yes, sir. I got uh, uh, 20, 20 or so rare breed chickens from that are on the endangered species list. And sure enjoy fooling with them. I've had chickens. Uh, one time I had 2,000 free range laying chickens here on the farm. Good. Never worked so hard for so little in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got some hummingbirds too, don't you? I love hum- hummingbirds. Yeah. I, I, I devote an uh, hour and a half, two hours a day in the summertime from the time hummingbirds get here in the spring to the time they leave in the fall and start their migration. I love uh, nothing better than sitting on the porch with a glass of lemonade watching hummingbirds in the afternoon. They've always amazed me at how fast they can just hover. They kind of remind me of like a Disney character or something. They can just kind of hover over something. I think they're the only bird who can fly backward and upside down about any direction they want to, you know. They can fly right into your damn face, too. Uh, yeah, they, I've, <laughs> I've had dozens around me on the porch and never had one of them fly into me. They got Their radar uh, is something else. It's incredible. They can fly through. Uh, a tree and never touch a branch or a leaf, you know, and uh, you know, it's amazing what God gave our animals the instinct to do. It really is, man. I love me and my wife. We love dogs. Well, she loves all animals out here too, but there's just something about a dog that my whole life. It's been like, that. it's like anytime I'd have dogs that get run over and everything else. And I mean, it just breaks your little heart, you know, for a while 
long time. Uh, I know you get attached to them. Yes, sir. And I mean, you know, living out here in the country, like we all do, I mean, it's, it's inevitable for it to happen. You're going to run over somebody's dog in the road, they chase yeah. the cars and stuff. And I, that stuff would stick around with me for a while. Sometimes, you know, still does, but, uh, we, we, a dog is this dog here is Boston Terrier. We got, uh, he loves music and I can lay in the bed or lay on the couch or something. And if I'm playing my guitar and kind of singing a little bit, he will come up and he'll put his, he'll lay down on me and put his chin on the guitar where he can feel, I think he likes to feel that vibration in the wood, you know? Yeah. Man, he's something else. That'll put him out. And he's a hyper little ass too. Uh, we, uh, it's got to be a weird. I mean, I know me and you talked about it before. It's a weird time right now for people like us, you know, in the music industry. And I know for for y'all, uh, y'all did a virtual concert I saw the other night uh, for Camping World. I think it was. Yeah, sure was. That's probably a little different than playing in front of a live crowd, isn't it? It was yeah, it was still fun to get to play again because it'd been you know about a year since we did a concert together, and mm-hmm. uh, so it was a lot of fun to get together. And even the rehearsal, I love, I like rehe- I like the all parts of it. I love rehearsing as much as the real shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Be, uh, just to, just to play. Yeah, still, nothing still like playing. It's like a drug, ain't it? It, it really is. Uh, you know, it's uh, if if it's in your if you, if you love doing it. There's no substitute for it. You know, it becomes part of your life. Yeah. Your your harmony in that in Alabama's been it's the hardest one to pick out. And does that come just natural to you from y'all just singing together and, and just knowing where to fall in? Do you and I know y'all swap up, you and Jeff sometimes swap up, don't you? Yeah. Um yeah, I was um Sometimes I'll do the high part, and sometimes I'll do the low part. Back in my younger days, I had a good falsetto so I could go above Jeff or, or below him. Uh, but uh, um, the good Lord gave me a talent for uh, uh, a dose of talent for harmony. But then, I, but then I've really worked. You know, I've studied harmony. I studied all the groups' harmony, the Beatles uh, and the mm-hmm. Eagles, and oh um, yeah. You know, uh, and then uh, gospel parts, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Southern Gospel Quartets over the years. I mean, all kind of harmony, I guess. I was always fascinated with harmony. And um, to get to go into the studio and play with parts is still something I love to do. And and uh, that's what I, if if that was, that was what I added to Alabama mostly, I guess, was I would go in and work on parts all night, and then Jeff would come in, and I'd, once I'd find the ones I thought were the simplest, basic, but yet most meaningful parts, uh, he would come in and choose the part he wished to do and do that one, then I would do the other. Uh, but uh, that was kind of the, the routine that we did. But, uh, um, you know, together, uh, me and Randy and Jeff, there, there was, you know, the, together it was a powerful vocal sound and just trying not to complicate, trying to keep it as simple and pure parts as we could. And a lot of times, the hardest part to find is the, is the simplest form of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's true about any art form. But the simplest form of that art is the once you master the 
symptoms, the basics, then uh, you have a chance of becoming better, you know. Yeah, and I, like songwriting's that way too, I feel like. You know, guys like Merle Haggard could take these simple words and just put them in a song and make you just bring a tear to your eye, you know, pretty much. And Willie was like that. Uh, just, it's hard to be simple when you're writing a song. Yeah, I think to me, I guess Willie, uh, Willie's probably him and Bill Anderson would be close one two to my all time favorite songwriters in the industry. And then become behind them comes a long line of great songwriters like uh, Dean Dillon and yeah. people like that that I got to portion of be around. And uh, but uh, you know, uh, great songwriting. I, it's, uh, I, I started. I think I wrote my first song when I was eleven, and and I knew that. And I was, I wrote, I tell people I wrote hundreds of bad songs in Myrtle, when we got to Myrtle Beach between 1973 and 1980. I literally wrote hundreds of bad songs, <laughs> but I was, I, I had to learn, I had to get all the bad ones out of my system, I guess, before I could find a good one. But, oh, but yeah. It's all, it's, it's honing your craft. And then I found out that the more, the, the better quality songwriters I got to write with, the better I learned. And the faster I learned and the more I learned about songwriting, because it is definitely to, we got three minutes as a songwriter, two and a half to three and a half minutes to give you a, you, the listener, a whole story. It's got to be all, most of the time it's got to be all, uh, uh, ears you're listening to, you know, uh, to, that sells you on the song. Uh, sometimes a video can sell you on a song, I'm guessing the visual, but, to me, it's the heart and good of I close my eyes and listen to a song. And if I can follow that song alone, it, it touches me in some way. Yeah. Where it's emotionally or makes me want to cry or, yeah. or, or, or makes me want to love, uh, you know, go home, love my wife or everybody it is, my kids. Um, but, you know, it's a powerful tool. Music is a powerful tool and songwriting is a powerful uh but as you know, I say, Willie is probably my favorite songwriter of all time to have wrote the amount of songs that he's wrote that were simple to the point. You can't forget them once you hear them. They're, they're locked into your mind. They're so simple that man, you know, any, anybody could have wrote those songs, but it took a very special guy to get to the, the simplest form of presenting yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was how many, how many songs did he write just that, that, that are um, not good songs, but great songs. They're, they're touching songs. They're from the heart. Mm-hmm. They mean something. They are, they're worth singing. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, I guess I'm a little fanatical about song. I, I hear very rarely this day and time. Do I hear a song that emotionally takes me someplace? Me too. And, and you know, and, uh, and, and I look, I, I live for that moment. You know, I love that moment. I used to, you know, with Alabama, I would live for the moment when I found a song that made me cry or made me, you know, just break down emotionally and say, you know, this, this touched me. It touched mm-hmm. me, it touched me deep. It touched me. Uh, and I think it would do the same for other people. Yeah. And when I'd find a song like that, it was better to me than anything I'd ever found in my life. Yeah. I understand. I'm I'm the same way. It's kind of a personal thing, really. Uh, first time you hear a song, I feel like it's, and I feel like music in general is just spiritual. Yes. It can heal you when nothing else in the world can heal you. Uh, I've talked about this with 
other songwriters and friends of mine in the business. I mean, I, there's been times where a song or just music has been the healing factor. You know, it's when nothing else has. I think that's yeah. there's something to that. Yeah, for like for instance, the song "Angels Among Us" that Becky Hobbs, uh, you know, uh, yeah, was uh, one of the writers on um, it. That song, uh, you know, we've had so many testimonies of how that song touched people and got them through tough times in their life. Just every month, you know, there was a new uh, testimony to that song, uh, and you know, I remember the first time me and Randy heard the song that. We and him both said, you know, man, you know, this, what a very special song this is. And it, it, it certainly has been. And it's funny, the record company did not hear the song to start with. I'll be honest with you. They did not hear the song to start with. They, thought, they said, well, we'll put it on the current album as a special track <laughs> for your fans out there. Mm, and, yeah. you know, men ran to look at each other and said, well, okay, well, you know, and, and it wound up not only being, on that album, I think it wound up being on three or four albums that album I cut after that because it, it kept, it was on the live album. It was on, you know, it was on, uh, the gospel album. You know I mean? Uh, it was just a special song that, that no matter how, how many times we've done it or where we've done it, it always touched someone. Yeah. Well, it sure is too. I mean, just to find a song like that, it, it touches you that much. And you know it touches other people. Oh, yeah. Well, if it, uh, you know, if it don't touch me, I figure it's not going to touch anybody else. If it does touch me, then starts the uh, the uh, job of turning a song into a hit record so that, that you hook. Uh, uh, I, I always wanted to, Alabama was accused of being, I read an article one time, said Alabama is very, the most vanilla, commercial, non-exciting <laughs> band I've ever heard. Non-exciting. I gave the writer two thumbs up. I said, "That's exactly what I want to be. I want to be commercial. <laughs> I want to be. I want. I want to sell millions. I don't want to sell fifty over here to a friend of mine or a bunch of friend of mine that's, that we're in a little clique together and we like this certain kind of music or this this certain hi hat sound or the drum sound or whatever it is." I said, "I'm into songs and records that sell millions and millions and do it for year after year after year." And to do that, it's a lot of work. I sacrificed everything in my life for music yeah my family uh my my fishing my hunting the th things that i would have probably loved to have done a lot more of but there wasn't time there was a career and there was a number one record and number one to follow it with and number one to follow it with and i, I was a poor country boy got a foot in the door and i said well i'm gonna ride this damn bull to as long as I can, or it throws my ass one. Man, that's... And and uh, it took it took everything. Yeah, but, you know. Then it was it worth it? Oh yeah. In, in ways, do I wish I could have maybe going back and take a few more days that I was spending with the family now? Yeah, but you know, you only get one chance to do it. And my family realized they know I love them. They know that I love them more than anything in the world. Yeah. But I had a dream. Yeah. It's, and I had to go for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, had you not, I mean, you would always wonder. I think I would if I was, if I was yeah, in that yeah. position. I, mean, I, I, had a, I had a chance to get a job in Fort Payne. I had an aunt tell me, said, you know, you ought to forget about that music and get you a job. I can get you a job over here at Wendy's, assistant manager. And 
um, she, she didn't understand at the time why me and Randy and Jeff gave up our jobs and went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in 1973. But, um, you know, you, you got to take that chance sometimes. And if it hadn't been for Randy and Jeff, I'll say this, I probably wouldn't have taken that chance. But because we kind of got together and it felt good, it sounded good to us, and we believed in each other, it gave us a strength that a single person probably wouldn't have had it on my own. I don't think I'd have went to Myrtle Beach, you know, and, and gave mm. it my job and did what we done and chasing music. Uh, but somehow together, it seemed like it was worth the chance to take where we failed or where we won. It yeah. was, uh, it was something that we, we, we felt like we needed to do. And we were young enough. I told my wife, I said, if I hadn't been successful in music by the time I'm 30 years old, I said, I'll leave it alone. I'll get into something and make some money so we can still have a, you know, afford to have a house and a car and, you know, raise kids. And, uh, it was close. I was approaching 30 when we uh, had a first number one record. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And, and that Wendy's, I worked at that Wendy's when I was 16 in Fort Payne, by the way. Did you, sir? Yeah. Did you end up? I did. Wow. That's kind of weird. Good. That's kind of strange. Uh, how did y'all find the Bowery? Well, um, our first drummer, John Vartanian, had played with another band from Fort Payne here called the Malibus mm -hmm. back in 68 and 69. And they played over at the Bowery in Myrtle Beach. And then... Um, we called him Bennett, our drummer. His name was John Bennett Vartanian, but we called him Bennett. Um, he uh, he knew Dick Lair, the guy that owned the Bowery. So him and Randy drove over in December and met with Dick Lair in 72 uh, and uh, said, you know, we'd like to come over and play for the summer. And Dick said, well, you know, sounds good. Him and he knew Bennett. And knew the Malibus had done a good job over there. Uh, they were really a good band, had good harmony, a family band that uh, – could have could have easily have made it as easy as we have if it had the right break, um, but they uh, we got the job over there and and quit our jobs in March about the first week of March and headed toward Myrtle Beach in 1973. We get over there and walk into the Bowery, the club, and there's already a band set up. My heart fell to the floor. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> We've quit our jobs, come over here, and now that they've already hired another band. But come to find out, after checking around a little bit, it was what they called the day band, the, the band that yeah. played in the afternoon. So we inquired, well, how much, you know, I mean, I think we were making, we started off making, I think it was $300 a week, maybe it might have been $350 a week. That's for the whole band. And Plus tips, and it was uh, everybody said, "Well, you know, you you, got, you make pretty good on tips, and you, you probably make more as much or more tips than you do off your salaries. So that's not all we can get by." But uh, we got over there, and uh, we asked them, "So, well, how much does the afternoon band pay?" They said, "Well, seventy-five dollars." We said, "We'll do it too if you let us." They let they hire us to do the afternoon gig and the night gig, so we mm -hmm. would play four or five hours in the afternoon, come back and play six hours at night, six nights a week mm -hmm. without a break. There was no breaks. It's called it's Bill's Continuous Entertainment. Mm. My God! So if you if, if one of the guys wanted to go to the bathroom, somebody else would front the band for 
I mean, asking, you know, where's everybody from, you know, yeah, giving a toast, to, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But uh, um, it was just a, uh, it was just a tough, tough job. Uh, so tough, most people would have not done it because you know, uh, it low pay and, uh, and not, not a lot of, you know, people came in to drink beer and 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 as long as you was playing some kind of music and. But it, it challenged you know we worked off the tips so you had to uh, probably the best thing about it Andrew is we had to work, we had to play every type of music in order to make a living there mm-hmm. you know it bluegrass one night you'd have a bunch of people in West Virginia in there country roads and you know and then you know then you'd have some southern rockers in there another night they wanted to play southern rock you know then we have old time rock and roll you know we have a crowd in there. So we had to cover, you know, we, we, at one time, I think Jeff said that he figured out we were doing somewhere between 900 and a thousand songs over, uh. over a two month period. You know, I mean, some would do more than others, like, you know, behind closed doors when that was hot, we'd do it three times a night, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and the, but he gave us a chance to work on our own music and, and, and to play our own music in front of uh, the crowds there. So we were doing, you know, we were doing uh, Tennessee River and, Mountain music feels so right. Those songs, you know, Wild Lady, Wild. We were down there on the stage before, uh, you know, they were we ever left Myrtle Beach in 1980. Yeah, a so lot of those. To, we had a chance, had a chance to give us a backlog of good songs, so that when things broke for us, we were ready for it. We had, you know, we 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 had another song to follow with. We had another good song to follow that one with. And then after we had a couple of hits, man, we had every writer in Nashville. You know, be yeah. on the door to, oh, to yeah. give us give us their song. So we had, you know, man, we stopped. We said, "Wow, look what we stumbled into!" And we were smart enough not to keep, continue to cut our own songs. Once Dave Logging's song started coming through the door, you know, and and, and those great songwriters, you know, uh, that we could uh, never had a chance. They would they wouldn't give us the time of day before. But once you have a couple number one records, then you start getting, you know, the ice cream. Yeah. And we were fortunate enough to be able to sit there and, and, and gather songs. That's when we had, you know, we had 41 number one songs over our career that, that uh, for, you know, for, for a band is, you know, uh, is, is incredible. For anybody, it's incredible. But, uh, you know, uh, I think George, George Strait, maybe one of the persons only, you know, there's all people ever had that many number mm. one songs. But uh, it, it, uh, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, uh, of patience and trying to, uh, find you know i remember when we'd finish an album i'd take a week off maybe 10 days and then i start worrying about where that next record was going to come from mm. and uh start looking on uh, and listening i probably I probably listened to more songs in my life than than, mo- than, than most uh, i mean it wasn't anything for me to listen to four or five hundred songs a week uh, mm. you know and, and maybe not find anything that 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 knocked me on my butt you yeah. know uh, I've heard a lot of songwriters talk about that, actually, about you playing, you know, giving you a song or pitching you a song or, you know, wherever they saw you, stopping you in your tracks to give you a song. Uh, and they said that's one thing they all said is you you said you'd listen. You always listen to them, you know. Um, well, I was I was that hungry songwriter one time. I knew what it meant for Somebody just sit down and listen to a song I wrote. You know? Oh yeah, means the world. Back when Joe Tar- Joe Taylor Artist Agency was booking us, and a girl named uh, uh, 
Kelly uh, that uh, was uh, work. She was an artist there, and she she liked a couple of my songs and pulled me in and got you know Dick heard to listen to them, which led to me getting my first very first uh, country hit or country cut on uh, "Call I May Never Be Your Lover, But I'll Always Be Your Friend" on an artist named Bobby G. Rice hmm. or Dick Heard back in uh, back in the seventies. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, did you and Randy write My Homes in Alabama when you was at Myrtle Beach? Yes, sir. We wrote that in Benton Trailer Park in Myrtle Beach. Benton Trailer Park sits right under WKCQ, which is the rock station on the beach there, right under their radio tower. And uh, I remember we were, when I like, like July is hot, Randy called me one morning. He said, you want to ride after dinner? And I said, sure. And he said, he lived two trailers down. He said, well, step down to the next trailer when you get after you eat your sandwich. And I said, I'll be down there. And so I went. And we wrote my house in Alabama and probably, I said, I don't know where they ever met anything or not, but I said, it's, it's a pretty cool little song. And then uh, <laughs> Randy was kind of about halfway through the song and realized that one of us was writing for the state of Alabama and one of us was writing for the band from a thought process, of, uh, you know, my, my home's in. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it, it worked out, but we kind of laughed about it later. So, well, we, uh, but that, that song was, it, it was like, you know, eight minutes long or something, you know, when we first recorded it. And, uh, I think even when they edited it now, I think it was still like six minutes long for, for a single, you know, uh, early on, just before, just before RCA, it was it was peaking out in the top twenty about the time RCA signed us. My home in Alabama was it was on MDJ Records. The mm. Larry McBride that signed us out of Texas, uh, but RCA really didn't promote. They decided to wait and promote Tennessee River, which was the first single on yeah officially released on RCA. Um. So y'all wrote a lot of them early songs back yeah, then in the Marble Beach days. We lived, we lived across the cotton field from each other. Uh, his father and my grandmother uh, were brother and sister. So, uh, and we lived on a joining cotton farm. So, so me and him would, when we had time in the afternoon, we'd get together and swap. Hey, you said the figured out this new Beatle chord. You know, mm-hmm. was, was into the Beatles trying to figure out all their chords and everything. And um, but yeah, we started on a writing. We started writing a, a, a little later on. There is uh, really started writing after after he got out of high school. Uh, uh, as far as us writing together, um, but over the years, then it, it turned into uh, uh, we wrote a lot of my favorite songs. Yeah, we wrote together. With him and Greg Fowler and Ronnie Rogers, you know those those guys. We hung together all the time and rode together all the time. They even traveled on the road with us. You know, when Greg was our road manager, and uh, Ronnie went out on the road with us a lot. You know, just to go out and ride. Me and Ronnie, we've been to we we drove to Alaska. Uh, My God, <laughs> and uh, wrote songs while we was up there. We flew to Hawaii and spent three weeks in Hawaii and wrote a song while we was over there. Uh, you know, just uh, had a great, had a great life. You know, it's been, it's been a wonderful 
I have to get to do what I've done with the people I've got to do it with. Oh yeah. Um, the how nervous was y'all going on America Bandstand? Because y'all looked like you was nervous as hell on that. Man, we were. I mean, you know, we were you know, country boys in California, man. You know, uh, with uh, in uh, where most of the artists that were on there were rock or pop, you know, artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we were. Uh, we were given the opportunity to do that, but no, man, one thing, it changed people's attitude around home. Once we were on that show, we came back home. People thought that we were something then, you know? Yeah. I've, I've supported them boys their whole life. I knew they'd make it. <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Dick Clark. That's kind of funny. Cause I mean, I know Dick Clark was so important and a lot of people don't really know that cause it ain't really talked about a lot. Not enough. Oh yes, he's so he, important he, to country music. He was instrumental in a lot of different. He 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 liked all types of music. You know, that's the thing about him. Uh, and he gave a lot of different people shots. You know, uh, to get started. And uh, he was uh, he remained uh, remained friends uh, with us. You know, uh, throughout our career. You know, and uh, was always there to help us any way he could. If he liked you, he liked you. Yeah. Um. Do you remember the first show that y'all had that you realized that y'all were really had made it or was going to make it? We had, uh, we'd left Myrtle beach in 1980 and, and, uh, the old promoter in, uh, King, North Carolina, uh, came out of retirement. Um, uh, and he'd, uh, actually, was the first guy, Keith Fowler was his name. He's the first guy to take country out of the bar rooms into the concert halls with uh, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. He was the first guy to take them into the concerts and Loretta and Conway. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he was kind of retired and came out of retirement to pr- pr- promote our shows. And they said, y'all, y'all want to go out and open for other people or you want to try to do your own thing? And um, we said, well, let's, we'll, open for a few shows for some other people and then we'll try we'll stick our toe in the water and try you know selling some tickets just on our own um and we were uh we went down savannah georgia and there was maybe you know 16 1800 people there which we as biggest crowd we'd ever played for but they were there to see alabama Mm-hmm. And they were loud and they were rowdy. And that was that was the first time us peeping out from behind the curtain and realizing, wow, these people are here to see us and they're ready to kick some ass. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the Alabama crowd throughout the years. Is they, Our live show was more like a rock concert than it was a country show because we come out, we played hard and we, you know, we, uh, but the, the music, you know, we didn't play, we weren't, uh, uh, we, and we, we we played had tried to have the best sound and lights mm-hmm. that were available on the market at the time for our fans. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, and then playing this this couple of years we played three hundred shows a year, Andrew. Mm. Um, so you don't you see what you don't have room for time for anything else. I mean that's yeah. that's concert. Yeah. That's a lot of road days in between and travel days, and that's that's brutal yeah, on itself. Never home. I remember 
hadn't seen my wife for almost two months and, and they drove down to Gaston, Alabama South this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we flew in and got to spend a couple of hours with them before we had to leave flying out to California. But that's, that's how hectic it was. Some shows, some days doing two shows a day. Mm. I remember doing three shows in one day. Mm. Man, that's brutal, man. And I'm, the industry will, and management, and, and and I hate to say it, but people will work you as hard as you let them work you. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. it's not hurting them; it's making them money. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can stand it, they'll stack it on like cordwood. You know, and yeah. as long as you carry the load, they'll you know. And there's some, not all of them. There's some good people out there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Conway is our manager now. Tony's, you know, we've been through several managers in our life, and if every, if every manager was like Tony, it would be. A very special and wonderful world for the artist. He's been around a long time too, hasn't he? He sure has. Yeah, he's been uh, long around a long time, and been and been a great guy and a good friend uh, for years now. I mean, I can't imagine how good it felt when you bought your granddaddy's old farm. I've heard you talk about that before. Uh, I know to you, just knowing you. Way I do. I, I mean, I know that meant everything to you. Yeah, that was my very first uh, RCA check. I guess that you know, it was, uh, man, if I remember, right, it was around sixty thousand dollars, and I opened up the check that day and was looking at it and asked my wife, I "said What in the world are we gonna do with sixty thousand dollars?" <laughs> you know, we were getting by at the time. You know, uh, yeah. uh, didn't have nothing really, but we were okay. She said, well, why don't you buy you go buy your grandfather's farm? So there's 60 acres, said I'll print a thousand acres. I'm sure he'd be happy to sell it to you for that. And uh well, I was always close to my grandpa anyway. He kind of raised me, you know, so, so it was it was a no-brainer. He said, I'd love for you to have the place, Teddy. And and uh, he lived by I said, Well, the house is yours till so you pass away. And he lived on the farm. So he was 93 years old. I lost him then, but yeah, uh, the old farm here, since then I've added my great-grandfather Owens, uh, 80 acres, and my uncle's 70 acres on the other side. So we uh, we run about uh, 250 acres of uh, run, run cattle, uh, have our own breed of cows. We started back in the late 80s called the South Pole Breed. Mm-hmm. That's done quite well. We have over 2,000 members now. That's great. Um, of course, Randy... He's got he's got a lot of livestock and has a big big party there every year, a few times a year, I think. People come from all over, of course. To like he's got Angus and he's got Herford and uh uh oh, who's this? This is my baby girl. Oh. She looks kinda like my grandma's little uh what kind what kind of dog is it? He's a Shih Tzu. Yeah. 13-year-old Shih Tzu. 13. Man. There ain't nothing like a dog, man, I'm telling you. Um, what do you remember about the uh, being on the USS Constellation on the, with Hank Jr. and Earl Thomas Conley and uh, back in the early 80s, it was a big... I think it was a pay-per-view or one of the first pay-per-views or something. You you won't believe this shit, this story. <laughs> um, 
we, we have an intro tape that plays as we were getting walking up to the stage, you know, going on stage. And so the intro was going and uh, we were walking up toward the back of the stage and there was a MP standing uh, there with a guard dog on a lead. And as I went by the guy, I nodded at him, just, just nodded my head like that. Next thing I knew, this dog was hanging off my arm. He bit me on. He bit me on the arm. Was hanging on, and he, he turned loose. And I had uh, two big fang marks in my arm, and so they stopped the intro music and took me over to the medical tent and squirted some iodine in in my arm and bandaged it up. And I gave my sign and I said, "Let's go." They turned the, the music back on. I put on a long sleeve shirt. The audience never knew anything. Never knew what was going on. I went back out and played my show. Uh, when I came off the stage, the base commander, and if they say it was about a quarter mile to his house, he'd walk to his house and got his purple heart he got in Vietnam hmm. and would have nothing else but depending on me when I came off the stage. Man. He said that was the most heroic thing you were going to play for my troops that I've, I've seen. And, oh. uh, but it was a, Wow. That's the story about that day. Wow. And and uh, I didn't want his purple heart. I said, I, I don't deserve this. I said, I'm just doing my job. He said, he insisted I take it. He got, he got killed in a plane crash about five years after that. Mm. And I was able to locate his wife and return it to her. But uh, Man, I can't buy that. Mm. My God. What a what a and, feeling. And, and and as a little as a little sidetrack to that, um he knew I could have raised hell about that with with you know with, with the Navy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I did I never all they did, I, they gave me a rabies or a, a not a rabies shot, but a Lockjaw shot, I guess. Uh, anyway, they gave me a, a shot before I left the base, and, and I never heard anything else about it. But you know, it's funny how things work out. Years later, we were playing for President Bush, the senior Bush, on the White House lawn for his barbecue for the senators, and uh, came around and uh, after the show, he was hanging. He was standing backstage talking with some of the road crew, and I walked up and started talking to him. And, he said, uh, he said, y'all, that's back when we had our airplane. He said, y'all flying back home this afternoon? I said, yes, we are. He said, well, you're hang, spending the night and just fly down with me tomorrow. So I got to be in Marietta tomorrow for the Baptist Convention. Uh, so I said, you serious? He said, yes, sir. I said, I'd <laughs> love to have you. And so hmm. uh, I said, well, uh, he said, where are you staying? I said, I give him the name of the hotel. And he called his guy over there. He said, pick Mr. Gentry up in the morning and, and make sure he gets to the plane. Okay. And the guy said, yes, sir. And next morning at eight o'clock, he knocked on my door. I had this blue van, got my stuff loaded up. We never stopped one time. They, they saluted all the way to Air Force One. Mm. The steward, head steward of Air Force One came out and met me and he said, the president's going to be about 30 minutes late. He told me to give you a tour of the airplane. So he gave me a whole tour of Air Force One, the whole plane and everything, and I had all the 
all the people on the plane signed me a picture and gave it to me and everything. It was, and then when the president got there, of course, he, he treated me like royalty. He came back and he said, I got to meet with some of these senators on some business for about 10, 15 minutes. And he said, you can come up to my office and we'll sit and talk country music. I said, okay. So we did for the last 30 minutes of the flight. But he said, I got, he said, would you let me go sit up in the cockpit for takeoff while, while I do my little meeting? And I said, would I? <laughs> so I'm one of the few guys I bet you that's ever gotten to go up and sit and watch in the yeah. jump seat and watch uh, take off of Air Force One. Wow. Uh, but it was a neat experience. And to finish up my story, I found out later that him and the base commander where the dog bit me were, were, were real tight. They were close friends. And he mm. knew about me before I knew about him. How about that? Man, it's funny how stuff happens, ain't it? I think God's behind all yeah. of it. I think God is just behind everything, you know. It's, it's, oh yeah, without doubt. I mean, you know, you, we, we, the, there's, you know, he he controls. He, he's in, he's definitely in the driver's seat of anything that we want to do and everything that goes on. Yeah, and if we can, uh, you know. That's all. That's all we live for is to get hope to see his precious face one day. You know. Right. Exactly. Um, whose idea was the June Jam when y'all started it? Well, um, there was a promoter that uh, uh, that came in and said he's going to put on a local show in 1982. Uh, we were just kind of getting started, you know. We he sees them, so he got a couple of uh, other country artists to come in. And if if the high school would let him use their facility, the, there's a big field behind the high school um, uh, that he would uh, donate money to the school. And anyway, make a long story short, he skipped town and uh, took the money with him. None of the artists got paid, and uh, mm. uh, sounds familiar. Oh Lord. <laughs> I just I just saw something pop up that breaks my heart, buddy. It said Charlie Pride just passed away. Oh man, I was just talking about him to my wife a while ago too. Oh man, just pops up on the screen there, buddy. Oh, oh Lord. Mm. Between him and losing my buddy Charlie Daniels the same year. Uh, mm. Man, a couple of big Charlies in country music. Oh yeah, the biggest. Anyway, uh, the promoter left town, and and we uh, we told the school said, well, next year we'll the band will put it on, and we will make sure that you get the money. And from there it grew to uh, we raised several million dollars over the years to different charities, you know. But that's kind of what started it was uh, because of the. Uh, uh, a crooked promoter uh, shafting everybody here and we said well next year we'll do it ourselves and we did and it wound up you know it became so big that uh, our crew would work on it all year you know you know setting it up and getting the artists lined up and the sound and you know all the logistics it took to put on a show like that yeah to the point where we had two stages so that we could be you know uh, set in one stage while the other performers was playing Mm -hmm. and uh but it, it you know 
like all things, it started out uh, so that it was really, you know, the local people supported it good and everything. And then it became kind of a job. And then it kind of became let's stick it to if we have to do any work up there. It was all volunteer to start with. And then it got where they, you know, it was hard to get people to do anything. And if they did, they charged three prices for it, you know. And we had more people backstage trying to get in free and enjoying the free food and the catering. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so it became, um, instead of raising money for charity, became so much of a party event yeah. that, uh, that when it got to the point where it really wasn't making that much money, we, we said, well, you know, we don't need to do it anymore. It's too much work. But during the years that we did, we did it for a long time and we had a lot of great artists that, about everybody in country music came through there at one time or another and played the June Jam, you know. Oh, yeah. And it was a great event, but, uh, but man, it, you know, and people, people don't realize how much work we put on our crew besides doing our tour every mm-hmm. year, you know, doing, doing the June Jam. And it was just a, it was just a ton of work, but worth it in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it was basically an all week event. Y'all had it running. Yep. celebrity softball and Jeff had the bass tournament and I think Randy yeah. had the golf tournament. I mean, it was, but man, what a great, what a great thing y'all did just for the community and for the, I mean, and all these artists basically did it out of the kindness of their heart. And that was, that was about it, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. That's really something. Uh, that, that I don't know of anything. I mean, Charlie Daniels volunteer jam, there's farm aid. Yep. Um, but man, the June Jam. I mean, it was like you said; it just grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, it's just amazing what all that uh, accomplished, and and the uh, on to uh, years later, you and Jamie Johnson wrote some songs together. I know. I know "Stars in Alabama" is one of my favorites. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jamie, uh, I met him when he shortly after he first came to town. I think you know he uh, nobody knew who Jamie was, and I was just impressed with with a guy you know that, that had uh, uh, from Alabama and uh, been through the Marines and mm-hmm. uh, was in Nashville looking to become a songwriter. And I said, "Shoot, you know, all right, we and." Uh, did and, and then then all of a sudden everybody you know, he was out with everybody and all of a sudden he's one of the hottest riders around you know and he uh, yeah Jamie is a an incredibly good rider a uh, good friend of mine and uh, uh, he's just a great great country singer too I mean you know uh, oh yeah very very few combination I call them people that were great singers and writers you mentioned Merle Haggard you know Merle's probably the ultimate singer and writer in my opinion you know uh he was a incredibly great salesman of a song from singing it you know so believable never over sang a song just sang the song yeah with emotion and and you know uh, and then to be able to write like yeah. he could write too is a very rare thing indeed you know but jamie's uh, he's one of those those people that has the ability of a great singer and a great songwriter so uh yeah he's uh yeah, special special friend, and uh, I'm a big fan of his. I am too. I've always been a supporter of his. Um, a, a Haggard thing, real quick. Uh, he was playing in, I think it was in Gadsden or Birmingham or something. And it's when y'all had come back out of uh, retirement, you know. 
and Jeff came to he you know he, I I reckon Jeff would just go set up with him and play with the strangers just kind of in the corner over there anytime Merle was close by and I was there at that show and they were band was sound checking getting ready to rehearse and that's setting the folding chairs up in the on the floor down there and Merle's sitting in one of them and Jeff's sitting in one of them and I had known Jeff a few years you know and he's he's been real good to me and helped me you know about 10 years ago uh he's got a special place in my heart but I went down there and Jeff introduced me to Merle and my uh cell phone was charging in the car or something like that so i'm thinking well hell, i wanted a picture with him i mean we talked you know but jeff took the picture of us on his phone and then later on he tried to charge me 20 dollars to get it but you know that's jeff uh <laughs> i was talking i was talking to merle and he just started telling me this random story about this spider following him in the hotel room and scaring him to death and he said, you know, we ain't got spiders like that out, out in uh, California. And he said, well, I guess if I go crazy, just tell everybody I'm all right. And I kind of just stood there a minute and like, stared at him like I was lost, I guess. And he did kind of me too, intense anyway, you know, he was. And I said, well, hell, that sounds like a song. And he said, well, maybe so. It just might be or something like that. And he wrote his cell phone number down and handed it to me. And he said, call me Monday. And walked off. And he he got up and started playing fiddle and showing Ben some of them, some of them licks, you know, uh, just sound checking. He's telling jokes. And, I mean, that's just doing a sound check. And later on, Monday came, and I was like, man, I can't call Merle Haggard. He ain't going to know who the hell I am, you know. Uh, I never did. I never did call. I just wrote that down. What he said in my phone on the notes. And then he died and I was listening to rainbow stew live, the old 45 I've got. And the night he died, that was just on my mind. And I just finished that. I wrote that song. If I go crazy and I put it on my last album, but, uh, I had, uh, James Mitchell come in and do them telecaster licks i mean he just nailed it but it's it was almost it was almost like a thing where he was in the room with me i felt like you know that was a strange that was a strange night it was i mean i really I felt like he's sitting right there uh merle he was intense man but i thought i told bobby bear that later on he said well hell you should just called him I said, man, I didn't think he'd remember who I was, you know. He, but uh, it, I'll always be grateful to Jeff for a lot of things, but for that, not for trying to charge me twenty dollars to get the picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, y'all, when y'all got back together, I know it was when the tornadoes hit here in the Cap County. You know, April. 27th 2011 i think it was and the, i mean it, it was the most terrible disaster i think ever for this state in this area but i've heard you say before and stuff y'all just basically talk and say well we got to get together and do something 
is that they, did that kind of light the fire and y'all just kind of get together and start rehearsing again and yeah i, th- I think you know being off for a period of time and getting back together you know we never planned to get back together but it, the way it happened and we did get back together i think everybody said well this is, still feels like fun you know uh something that we'd like to do some more of so we we tell them so we'd like to work a few shows see how it works out and uh still feel the same way today i mean i still miss playing you know um, it's part of part, like i said earlier it's part of my life and uh, i don't want to play 300 shows again. <laughs> 300 shows a year again, Andrew, but, you know, uh, to, to do, you know, 15 or 20 shows a year would be, you know, fun. A couple, couple months during this, you know, spring, summer months would be fun. How, uh, how different is it now looking over there and not seeing Jeff over there most of the time when y'all do play? Well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really, you know, the, especially the first few shows without him was really, really tough. But, you know, then you, then you, then you say, well, you know, let's make the music as good as we can possibly make it, you know? And, and we had to, it took three people to, and we still didn't replace Jeff's part, you know, but, but it took three people to even cover his parts that he did. Mm -hmm. We'd have a field player, had to have a high part harmony singer, had to have a good guitar player. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, uh, needless to say, you know, it, um, um, by the way, uh, the, the song that me and you were going to write, uh, yeah, uh, it got roped. It did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got to hear Davis, that. Chip Davis and Billy Davis came down about uh, on, uh, two or three weeks ago and, and, we were sitting around. I hadn't written a song, and I told you, like I told you, about cut two years, I guess if it was. Yeah. And Billy pulled out his acoustic and started uh, playing on it. And I said, "Let me say that thing, man." I, had this, I said, "I got this idea," and, and man, it just it just came. I couldn't stop it from coming. That's uh, how it, it works. But uh, uh, it's just called Jail Song. It's a very special, very special song. Uh, we we've seen it all, the good and bad. We've 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 felt it all, the happy and sad. But in the end, it's been worth everything that we've been through. If you forget, I'll remember for you. Mm. You were the best with that guitar in your hand. I was amazed, like all of your fans. The crowd on their feet every night with your foot stomping green fiddle tunes. If you <laughs> forget, they'll remember for you. Oh, man, I love that. Well, tonight on the stage, well, tonight, last verse, well, tonight on the stage, you're still here like you've been by my side through the years. But put a smile on your face and know no one can take your place. I'll end this song on a happy note or two. If you forget, they'll remember. Will they forget you? Oh, no, never. If you forget, we'll remember for you. Hmm. That's, but that says it all. It, it, it came out. It, it came out great. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tickled with it. I got to play it for Jeff and him. Did you? The night I, I finished the little demo, I came by Chip saying the demo for me. And I, I worked on it all afternoon. Got, got it sounded pretty good. Come by and play it for Jeff that night in oh. the car. Many of us sat there and cried. And true Jeff fashion, he looked at me after it finished with big old alligator tears running down his face. And he said, you run out of any damn thing to write about, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh man, he's still got that sense of humor. Yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah. He's a uh, God bless Where him. Are we yeah, he's. I know chemo. Chemo's doing great, brother. He had the he had the virus, you know. No, and, I didn't know he, that. His mother, uh, he, he his mother passed away. She got him passed away. Been been a tough deal oh. on, on on the whole family. But the chemo's doing better. Uh, he uh, we he did the show with us for uh, Camping World back a few weeks ago that we did. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, this virus thing is tough on a lot of folks. My Jackie Owen, the first the first guy, the very first time Alabama played, I played drums, and Jackie Owen, my cousin, played bass. Did you know that? Did you know I was a drummer? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> you just... I played played one night at our first show in Section Alabama. We did two Merle Haggard songs. We did Sing Me Back Home and Silver Wings. And we won the talent show. <laughs> and we got to go to Nashville to the Grand Ole Opry. It was first place winner. So you played drums. I don't own up to it because it lowers your IQ two points <laughs> to the automatic. You know. <laughs> oh man, uh, we got we got to get together uh, and ride, know, man. We, we got we, we got to get we, together. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm getting I'm I'm back I'm back in the saddle. I'm ready to ride again. That took me a while to kind of get back in and you know i mean if you just don't feel it you know what i mean you know you just don't feel it you know and I, i've never been one to force it if i didn't feel it you know so now i'm just just right to be right and i, I got one right i got one you know and uh but we, we we're gonna do it we, we'll do it uh this uh, get into past christmas year and middle of january I mean you'll hook up i guarantee it okay yeah that sounds good because you don't ever need to stop doing that man that's part of you no no it makes no. you tick you know i, I mean yeah. i'm the same way I, uh i'm glad y'all finished that i want to hear it too man i mean that I'll, says uh, it all i'll uh i think it's it's a really a neat te- melody too uh, uh i'll uh I'm looking for my phone. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, got my I'm, I'm looking at my phone. I was about to say, you're looking for your damn phone. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Shit. Oh, God. I, I think I'm toast. <laughs> man, I appreciate you doing this. It's been fun talking to you, asking you shit that I wouldn't normally ask you. You know, this th- I'm doing this because I'm not doing hardly any shows now, and I, I've lost touch with a lot of friends in the music business and the entertainment business of uh, sports people I've met, you know, just crossed paths with over the past 12 years. I, I just thought, man, I, I'm a part well, of sleep or something. I need to wake up. Been fun. It's been fun uh, talking about some of the old things, but, uh, uh thank yes, you for sir. asking me to do it. Oh yeah, man. I, I thank you for doing it. There enjoy our little talk. Yeah. Oh yeah, they will. Peace out. <laughs> All right, y'all, appreciate you listening to another episode of Picking It Out, and we'll see you next time.